It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Most days you can find Ronnie Near in her sewing loft with multiple projects going on at once. After she kept getting asked about having quilting classes, she finally decided that there would be enough interest to try it and fell in love with teaching. I love the quote from her grandmother who said, Want to is 90% of anything you do. And Ronnie added that she really wanted to, therefore she is quilting. Ronnie, thanks for joining me on A Quilter's Life. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I'm excited to have you. Can you tell me where you were born and raised? I was born and raised in East Tennessee. I grew up and lived most of my life in a town called Lansing. I live right next door to my grandma most of my life. How neat, right next door. That's amazing. Yes, she was an amazing lady. Please share a special childhood memory. I grew up in a time where there was like no AC. We had two or three channels with an antenna on TV on a good day. So, you know, all you had to watch on TV was soap operas. So we got out and about. We didn't sit in the house. We would have big snows then. We don't have snows in East Tennessee like we had when I was growing up. You know, now people, it's going to snow. We go out, we'll get our milk and our bread, and then we kind of hunker down. You know, back then, oh, it's going to snow. That's when we all get out and start going crazy. We grew up swimming in the creeks. And my fondest memories are probably of my years at Lanson Elementary. I went to school there first grade all the way through eighth grade. It was very small. It was like family. Probably 80% of us were all related. Anyway, but we had a wonderful man who was principal of the school that treated us like we were his own children. And it was just the whole community. Basketball was life for all of us whenever the school year was going on. How fun to be able to go to school with relatives. Oh, yes. Can you share about your employment? I am a retired hairdresser. I really kind of fell into hairdressing just because I felt I needed to choose something to do right before high school graduation. And I knew college was not anything I wanted to do at that time. So I went to beauty school, went to work in a local salon, a chain. And it didn't take long for me to realize, nope, this ain't it. I want to do something else. And then one day the local U.S. Air Force recruiter landed in my chair for a haircut and By the time he left, I was like, I'm going to do that. And I had to go see him like five times before he would take me seriously. He said, you are not my typical recruit. You're too girly. And of course, that just made me more determined to go. So I joined the Air Force. I did that and then ended up right back home in Lansing, Tennessee for the next 20 years. (laughs) During that time, I came back. I went back into hairdressing. I had my own shop. And I I had two sons. They grew up in the shop with me because I worked all the time. It was good to us. It fed us. It clothed us. It kept a roof over our heads. But I'm kind of glad to be have that one behind me and be doing something now that I love. How neat. 
Now, I am curious. My aunt worked for the Air Force, and so she was in San Antonio. Did you end up in San Antonio? All of the Air Force basic training takes place at Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio. Yeah, I got to go to work with her a couple days, so I always think of that. While I was in the Air Force, I spent a year in Korea. And from there, almost two years in California before coming back home. My first son was born in California. Now, was that Southern California? It was Central California. It was uh, just up the coast from Santa Barbara at Vandenberg Air Force Base. Okay. My dad was a Civil Air Patrol chaplain and was at Vandenberg a lot. I love Vandenberg. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. There's like 40 miles of coastline just on base. So you could almost always find a beach where there's nobody, you know, if you just want to go walk on the beach or whatever. But it's not really swimming beach, but lots of undertows. But it's beautiful. I loved it there. Yeah. I grew up in California and I did not like the beach. And then when my husband took me to the East Coast, he didn't know why I didn't want to go out in that water. But. The shelf is so short on the Pacific, and I didn't know about the shelf thing when it came out, so I just assumed it was the same out here. It's totally different. Totally different. It is. Ronnie, is there anything else about your family you would like to share? I raised my two boys basically by myself, and when they were 14 and 17, I remarried in 2006. I met my husband, who was a widower with three small children, on Match.com. That's back before dating sites got really scary. But I tell everybody it's the best $39.95 I've ever spent. We married in 2007, and I moved from where I lived, about 40 minutes away to the town where he lived. And then the next year, I closed up my shop out there, and my husband built me one in our basement. And I worked there for a little bit, and then I found out I was pregnant with my daughter. And at 42 years old, I had a daughter, January of 2009. So between us, we had six kids. Are they still close by, or did they move on? Well, oddly enough, my two oldest sons ended up back out in Lansing, where I grew up. My mom is still out there, so they're out there near her. We have one son that's in the Navy. He's in Florida. And our oldest daughter, we have a grandson. I have four grandsons total, no granddaughters yet. And we have a daughter in college at Tennessee Tech in Cookville, Tennessee. And our youngest, who is 14, is the only one still at home with us. What a nice family. That is great. Besides quilting, are there other crafts you do or that you've done? Oh, in the past, I've done cross-stitch. I've made homemade candles, homemade soaps. I've done some crochet. I tried to knit, and I got this huge afghan knitted, but it's still on the needles because I don't know how to finish it. And I've carried it around for about 15 years now, so I'm not sure what I'm going to do with that. Oh, that's too funny. Maybe someone will hear this and be able to help you get that done. (laughs) I taught my youngest daughter when she was seven just the basic chain stitch and single crochet. And she just went on YouTube and went to town and I quit crocheting then because hers is so pretty. Are there other hobbies that you do? No, quilting pretty much consumes about 
90% of my time. <laughs> Tell us about who introduced you to quilting. Okay, believe it or not, this was another customer who landed in my chair when I worked in the hair salon where I met my recruiter. And this lady became a dear friend. Her name is Mary Jane, and she was telling me she was getting ready to teach a hand quilting class, and I was, like, immediately intrigued. So I signed up and took her hand quilting class, and that's where I got started. That was in 95, I believe, and I didn't do a whole lot probably for the next 10 years just because, honestly, I couldn't afford to do it. I'm a single mama with two kids. It was just all about survival back then. But after I remarried, my husband is wonderfully supportive of anything I want to do. And it kind of started a crazy way. Someone sent me a picture one day of a weighted blanket of all things and asked me if I could make that for them. And I said, I think so. So for about a year and a half, I made weighted blankets just like crazy. And when that fizzled out, I was like, you know what? Now's the time I can get back into quilting. And... As I've told everybody else, it's a rabbit hole. I went down the rabbit hole and I haven't come back yet. I'm going to jump back here for a second because on your website, you mentioned you're related to Hannah. Hannah Dustin. Hannah Dustin. Yes. And so I had to look her up. Did you want to talk about that at all? Oh, yeah, sure. I didn't even think of that. My husband was doing some ancestry stuff. He's real interested in all kinds of ancestry.com things. And he was doing his and he decided to start on mine. And he just tripped across this. It was something that no one in my family knew at all. She's my ninth great grandmother. Her story, basically, in a nutshell, is she was kidnapped by the Abenaki Indians that came down from Canada. She was in. Boscoan, New Hampshire, and Haverhill, Massachusetts. She was kidnapped when her last baby was six days old. They took her, the baby, and her nurse and started moving them back up towards Canada. They got about 100 miles away, and they were on an island in the Merrimack River, and this is in New Hampshire. And from all studies, I found she was there anywhere from six weeks to three months. I can't really pinpoint it. But in the end, she ended up during the night waking up and stealing a hatchet, killed and scalped 10 Indians, got in one of their canoes, and went home. And when she got home, she got paid $50 each for each scalp. Oh, it was for each scalp. I thought that was a total. (laughs) Well, I found both, but my husband found this out in the spring, and that summer he took me up there, and we went to all these sites. She's the first woman in the United States, to have a statue erected in her honor. And two of those are still standing. The third one was later sold and then is erected to someone else. But I kind of believe it it was 50 each because they have uh, what's called the Buttonwood Museum in Haverhill there, where one of her statues is. And they have a lot of stuff from her old home place, from her life in there. And it's just really amazing. So they have the actual... It's called a Biscayne blade, the one that she used to scalp them with, and it's kind of curved. It's really a (laughs) scary-looking instrument. (laughs) But in that museum is one little piece of a quilt that she made. And I've took pictures. This has been several years ago, and I still haven't sat down and just really tried to recreate that. 
but I'm going to. That's on my list. I want to recreate her quilt. I have just this one little square to go on, and it's all rotten around the edges and frayed, and I'm sure if we touched it, it would fall apart. Wow, what a unique piece of history, and you can recreate something that American history and your history. Yes, that's my thought exactly. I was curious when I saw that if that had come down to verbal history in your family, but that's interesting that your husband found out about it. Yes, no one knew, no one. And it comes from my mom's side of the family. And once we found out this, and I found out it was my mom's side of the family, I said, this explains so much about the women in my family. (laughs) We tend to be a little (laughs) (laughs) high-spirited. Whether it's a quilt you made or a quilt you've seen somewhere else, do you have a favorite quilt? I love all quilts. I've never seen an ugly quilt. I've never seen a quilt I didn't like. If I make that quilt, that means I really liked it. But my favorite one that I've made today is a tan gold and white gingham check. It's very simple, yet it's very impactful. Every time I put it on my bed, I'm just, oh, this is so pretty. I love it. I love that feeling when you look at something and it just brings you joy. And yes, that's exactly how I feel about that one. It makes me smile just to look at it. And when you're working on your quilts, is there a tool that you're so happy that you have? I would have to say the machine that I piece on, it's a machine that my husband bought me years ago when I was still doing or trying to do free motion quilting on the domestic machines before I got my long arm. And it sews one stitch. It's just the one straight stitch. But it is a workhorse. I had it for a couple of years and I was afraid of it because it felt so much more substantial than my other sewing machines I'd had up to that point. And then once I figured it out, I don't think I could do without it. I'm always curious when someone says they have a bigger machine like that. Can I ask how big the throat is on that machine? I'm not sure, but I would say it's like 12 inches because my smaller ones have like a 9 or a 10. This one's a little bit bigger. But I quilted the heck out of some king-size quilts on this machine before I got my long arm. And I don't think I could do that anymore. I just don't think my shoulders and my hands have it in them to do that anymore. (laughs) With all the steps in quilting, do you have a step that you really look forward to or... Do you like each step along the way? I love every part from the beginning to the end. There's the age-old debate of if you just piece tops and then have someone else quilt it for you, are you a quilter? I'm not going to get into that debate here. I'm just going to say that I like to do every single step. It would make me nuts to send one of my quilts to someone else to quilt. I don't like the cutting part. That's the one part that feels tedious to me, and I wish I could hurry and get it done. But no, I love each phase and I'm one of these, I have something going all the time. And when I get to one stage with one quilt, I'm like, okay, it's time to start another one. And I work back and forth. I have three or four going all the time. Interesting. So if you feel like piecing that day, you are able to do piecing. Exactly. That way there's always something to do, you know, for the mood you're in. (laughs) Share your worst quilting experience. Oh, no, that one's easy. This just happened to me about two years ago. Oh, one of my very best 
customers wanted me to make a family tree quilt for her mother for Christmas. And I worked for like two months on this quilt. I made it, but I have to say it was beautiful. It had the tree and all the branches and leaves and pink flowers. And each family member had their own little birdhouse. And underneath the birdhouses, I put like little nameplates that had their names on them, you know, who it belonged to. And everybody in that family would be on that. The background was white and the embroidery that I did the names with was black. I used a thread that I have used forever. I've never had an issue with it. But when I washed that quilt, that black thread faded everywhere, all the way through to the back of the quilt. It was terrible. I cried when I pulled it out of the machine and saw the mess that it was in. And so I messaged Marla and told her, I'm sorry, I can't sell you this quilt. I don't know how to fix it. And she was like, we'll take it anyway. I'm like, no, I can't send a quilt out looking like this. I just, I can't. So I studied for a couple of days and I thought, you know what, I'm going to fix this. <laughs> so I went back and I took all of the embroidery off the quilt, re-embroidered it, and put it back on. And I managed to get most of the faded spots off the quilt top. You have to really look to find them. But I was okay with letting it go after I got done with it. That is the saddest I've ever been about a quilt. I could only imagine the feeling you had when you pulled that out of the wash, because like you said, you had used that thread before and never had a problem with it. You would have never expected anything like that. Exactly. I was just shocked. Why do you think you make quilts rather than spending your time doing anything else? It's because of how it makes me feel. It makes me happy. There's nothing else I can do outside of being with my family and we like to travel and take trips. Other than that, there's nothing else that makes me feel as happy as I am when I'm sitting here in my little sewing loft at my machine, got my earbuds in with my audio book and I'm piecing all day long or quilting or whatever I'm doing. It's just my spot. It fills my senses, you know, the way it feels, the way it looks. It makes my heart sing. And then when you gift a quilt to someone, it's all worth the expression on their face when they see it. Thank you. That exactly puts into words what I'm thinking all of us feel. It's almost like a switch. And we almost can't explain it, but you put it into words. People who don't quilt don't have a clue. You know, they think we just like to sew. Can you hem my pants? No, I can't hem your pants. I don't sew. I quilt. Two totally different things. <laughs> <laughs> the quilt fits everyone. After I hem your pants, they might be too short. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they may be bunchy. Mm. Who do you make your quilts for? I do mostly custom orders. I do like to make baby quilts. So a lot of people who are close to me, family or you know, extended family, when there's a baby. If I have time in between orders, I like to try to get a baby quilt out to them. I started an Etsy shop a couple of years ago with intentions of just making quilts and putting on there to sell, but I can't make them fast enough. I never have more than one on there because I just don't have time to make a bunch of them. With that, do you have a list of quilts in your head that you're wanting to make? Oh, my goodness. I worry that I won't live long enough to do it. <laughs> It's a very long list. And I have probably at this moment in time, 
a couple dozen patterns that I've designed myself that I'm forever tweaking one or the other and trying to decide when they're actually good enough to be finished. I have them designed in my quilting program. That's another thing. I just hope I live long enough to finish all of those. Do you have a special project going on right now? Actually, I do. And this is a little different than you know, making a quilt for someone. I started at the first of the year. Well, I'll backtrack a little bit. Back in 2011, I had joined a group for an online quilt along called Women of the Bible, where you do like a Bible study of the woman and then you make a block that you base on her through the name of the block, the colors that represent her story. And I got about halfway through with it back then and just life was busy. I had a toddler and I put it away. And between Christmas and New Year's this past year, I pulled out all of my projects that I've started and never finished. And I'm going to knock some of those out this year. I have about 30 blocks from that quilt. When I came across the Women of the Bible blocks, I thought, you know what? I'd like to finish this. And I think I'm going to post it and see if I can get you know a couple friends to do this with me. And so I did. And it's a year-long thing because you do one block a week. And this has turned into a group on Facebook that has over 70 members from all over the world. And we do a different woman each week. And today I am videoing the tutorial for making the block because it's also a great skill builder because there's so many different types of piecing. And I have a lot who are new quilters that have never done any foundation paper piecing. And that's what I'm teaching them today. So that's what I'm working on. And we're having a blast. Oh, neat. Now, are those blocks all the same size or different sizes? All the blocks that represent the women are eight inch blocks. So they're eight and a quarter to eight and a half when you finish them. And they'll be eight inch blocks once they're in the finished quilt. There's one block that is right in the center of the layout if they want to use this layout, which is the Tree of Life, the Tree of Paradise block. And it's the size basically of like four of those. So it'll be right in the center and it's all set on point, which I think makes any quilt look fancy. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't it? I just love it when I see those. It's one of my favorite layouts. Share a quilting tip. My quilting tip would be to just make it. As I've said before, I've never seen an ugly quilt. I love every quilt I've ever seen. What a great tip. Sometimes we get bogged down with things and it's hard to get back in there and finish. Great to get that encouragement. I think before you start anything, you just have to remember, I love to do this. I love to do this. This is not a job. If it starts feeling like a job, then you need to stop sewing for everyone else and do it for yourself. To me, that makes a big difference when I say, okay, I'm going to take this month off and I'm only working on stuff of my own. That kind of refreshes me, rejuvenates me, and then I'm ready to go back and sew for other people. We got a bonus tip. Thank you. That's great. So describe how you went from having quilting as a hobby and it became a business for you. Oh, that one's easy. You post a picture on Facebook, then everybody wants to know how much. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but you were willing to answer that question. Yes. It was kind of like a personal challenge, I guess, because it had been so long since I had taken the class. And I'm like, can I even do this anymore? 
and my grandma used to tell me that want to is 90% of anything you do. And I really wanted to. So here we are. <laughs> I love that saying. <laughs> I hadn't heard that before. I know there was a point in when I was homeschooling my kids is like, how do I give them the want to do it? But I love that want to 90%. Yes. And I find that's true in everything. Share the name of your business and please tell us how you came up with the name. It is called Clear Creek Quilts. And the name comes from, that's the community that I grew up in, the Clear Creek community. I went to Clear Creek Missionary Baptist Church. My granny wrote a weekly column in our local newspaper called the Clear Creek News. All the creeks right around me where we swam growing up was Clear Creek. I had a former name for my business, and it was great for people who knew me. I called it Near Perfection Quilts. My last name was Near, so it was kind of a play on my name. And for those who knew me, it was great. They got it. But then as I got more serious about it, I thought, you know, that doesn't really translate well to people who don't know me. So I wanted something that kind of just basically said something about me, who I am, where I'm from. And I settled on Clear Creek Quilts. I wondered if it had something to do with where you grew up. So that is neat. Yes, I have the back picture on my website. That is a picture looking down on where we used to swim when I was growing up. The whole area out there where I grew up, a lot of national park stuff. And they built this overlook up on top of the bluff there above the swimming hole. And I try to keep the picture on my blog, that same exact view change it with the seasons oh cool i'm waiting on somebody to take me a good one with all the snow on <laughs> i was thinking so now i have to go to your website several times a year just to see the change yes of course summer everything's green and leafy i want to try to get a picture this summer from the overlook while there's people down there swimming that's the one i want to get this summer i have a beautiful fall picture that I use and I have a new one to go up but I haven't got it up there yet someone local took it on Christmas Eve there was some ice and stuff so I'm just learning this blog stuff so I'm hoping everybody's being patient with me I've got a lot of stuff up there but the day-to-day of it I don't want to stop quilting to sit down and write two paragraphs (laughs) I know that's what a blog is all about so I've got to get a better handle on that it's a learning process isn't it It is. Can you tell us how you started to professionally quilt for others? Basically the same answer again. Facebook. If they don't want to buy the quilt that I've posted, then I'm getting messages. My mom's got a stack of quilts she needs quilted. How much are you charged? I do some of that for certain customers. I found that I'm not real happy about some of the quilts that if they bring it to me and want me to just quilt it. Number one, I don't have the pantos or computer on my long arm. It's all freehand. So that's one thing that you know, a lot of people have got to make them understand. You know, This is just me. This is not a computer. You're not picking a design. So I give them two or three basic designs that I know real well and they choose from that. But I find a lot of these quilts that have been passed down, they're not very square and can be very hard to do on the long arm. <laughs> I can only imagine 
I'm not a long arm quilter, but I've heard enough stories that that sounds very difficult. Yeah. And I know we have so many tools to work with now that makes this job so much easier for a more accurate result, a very beautiful result. Because I can remember, I call them my little old ladies. I did their hair for years and I had several quilters that I just loved when they came in because I got to talk to them about quilting. But they sat down on their couch with a bunch of scraps around them and just started throwing things together. And square was not important. <laughs> now, do I understand it correctly that you offer classes? I do. I found out that I really like to teach. The first time I did it, I just had so many people asking all the time, do you teach? Do you teach? I want to learn how to do this. So after a couple of years of gathering up several names, you know, that I felt would be enough people to justify what it would be to do that all the time spent. I did my first class and it was great. I discovered I loved it. I love doing that. So I usually have a beginner's quilting class going on all the time. And going back, do you remember how it felt when you had that first class and you had several people sign up? Yes, I felt a little overwhelmed because I told them if I can get 10 people, because it's all via Facebook group, you know, it's not live. I thought if I can get 10 people, it will you know, justify all the time this is going to take. And the first day I put it up, there was like 20 people signed up. So, Wow. You never know when is a good time to offer because people have kids, people are busy. And I kept waiting for just the right time where everybody could join in. And there's never a right time. So you just have to throw it out there and hope for the best. The one I've got going now, I have like 10 people in it. It's kind of smaller, but it fits this group well because we're just kind of going at a pace. We're not doing scheduled. We're going to do this on this date. We just work on one thing. And then when it seems like everybody's about done with that, I'll post the next step. So everyone is different. How exciting is it when you see your students finish a quilt? Oh, it's very exciting. And just yesterday, one of the girls who took one of my classes last summer she said, it's been a year ago today that I finished my first quilt and I haven't stopped since. And she posted all these pictures of all the quilts she's made since she finished the one we did in class. And I was just, I was so tickled when I saw that. I was so happy. I told her I'm so super proud of you. Wow. Well, Ronnie, tell us where we can find your business. I am on Facebook, Instagram, and my website, all are Clear Creek Quilts. Great. And all those links will be on your episode page for us to find you there, too. Okay, great. Thank you so much for sharing with me today. I love hearing your story. Well, thank you. I enjoyed this. Great. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com. Or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.